It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily, a daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. Happy Monday. I'm Jim Sowerson and we are back into a bumper week of footballing action with Premier League, with Europa League, with Champions League football, all lined up over the next few days and ready to go. But what a weekend it has been at both ends of the table. You can catch up with Fergal, with Sam Lee and with Johnny Smith, all talking about the fight at the top and the bottom of the Premier League. That is on yesterday's podcast. Just go back in the Football Social Daily timeline to find all that chat. But today we are looking ahead. We're looking ahead to Crystal Palace versus Leeds as the Yorkshire club are still looking to pick up those vital points that could help them avoid the drop. We're also going to be looking ahead to some new laws and regulations that could help protect the future of football clubs like Bury and like Oldham as the government seek to introduce an independent body of football governance as a result of a fan consultation. We'll give you the details and dig into what it could mean shortly on Football Social Daily. To provide the expertise on those topics, we've got Marley Anderson. How you doing, Marley? Good morning, yes. Uh, better than I was the last time I was on a podcast with, <laughs> with you guys, so yeah. Which was Friday oh, after the Christmas party around these parts. Niall was at that as well, and I've come into the office this morning, Niall, because we're all in the office today. We're not always in the office every day of the week, and you've been dubbed Mr. Saturday Night Fever after your exploits at the Christmas party. Do you want to expand on that in any way? Uh, I would if I could remember, but I can't, which is probably a good thing by the sounds of it. Um, no, I don't get out very much on nights out these days. So I like to, I like to let my proverbial hair down and, and have a bit of a boogie, but I had really good times, so I'm not going to sit here and feel embarrassed because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm gutted, I'm gutted I missed it just because of the moves now. But I'd, I'd love to say, you know, Niall was Mr. Saturday Night Fever, but I also don't remember. Like I don't know, I don't know if Niall had a dance or not. I couldn't tell you whether Niall had a scrap with eighteen bouncers at once, or had a fight, like or had a dance or whatever. Just do not remember anything. So give it a couple of weeks. I'm sure there's some videos floating around somewhere that will come out. We'll have to do them. If they do come out, you can find. You will be able to find them on the sports social social media channels at the sports social (laughs) Twitter. (laughs) We'll have a a conversation about that one. (laughs) Anyway, let's kick off Monday. Let's forget all this frivolity and happiness. Let's kick it off with a good old whinge because on Monday we start with a Monday moan. Get in the sea is an opportunity to vent spleen about one thing that has happened over the footballing weekend that you've just had enough of. You just want it to get in the sea. Marley, you said you've got a load today, so I'm going to force you to whittle it down to one. What are you picking? Uh, I'm going to pick my original one that I had. It was. It's, it actually comes from slightly before the weekend, but it's still relative to, to football and to what's going on this weekend. And it is the, the furor and the little circus that is now following Eric Ten Hag around Amsterdam. <laughs> When he's just, he's literally just trying to do his job. Like, I, I don't, I don't think for a minute that Man United wanted to announce Ten Hag um, until the summer, until mm. well, t- until at least the the final whistle on the final day. Don't believe that at all. So, 
But because they were so bad against Liverpool and because they were in such a bad time, they had to do something. So they had to announce it. And as soon as they've announced it, Sky Sports have went, uh, right, we need a reporter to go to Amsterdam and um, pester him, basically. Just just hound him. Go out, stand outside the training ground for eight hours a day, try and get a little sound bite, which doesn't tell anyone anything like this this whole thing. So my issue is there's a there's a... The reporter they sent out there is called Gary Cottrell, and at the best of times, he is he's cringe. He's your, your sort of old old man journalist, like trying to be funny, and it's it's so bad and so cringe. But it wound me up, and uh, it was Friday. Um, I watched a, a little clip from Sky Sports, and it was um, him waiting outside the training ground, and Eric Ten Hag pulls up in his his nice little four by four type thing, and. Um, he he poses for a picture with a dad, and his dad's got this uh, his his son on his on his arm, and his son must be about three or four, and like obviously the Ajax fans have been waiting outside the training ground all day, um, and the picture's being taken, and Ten Hag's posing and stuff like that, and he just this Gary Cottrell just crashes in with his microphone and just goes, "Oh Eric, uh, you must be looking forward to the Man United job," and Ten Hag just puts his hand up and goes, "Nah, see you later, I'm driving off." Um, not, no, he's not enjoying it. No, he, he, he couldn't blame just him. Drove off, yeah, he? just yeah. and I was like, if I was that dad who'd been there with his kid mm. and you know trying to make his kid's day, and this ball bag had got in my way, I'd have just decked him. I'd have just absolutely wiped him out because it doesn't eat like the thing which winds me up as well. Like even if he gets his interview, which he's been pushing with, um, he's, he was in his press conference after the the Ajax game at the weekend, and he asked him again. You know, stuff like, oh, you know, have you decided what you're going to do at Man United yet and what your order of business is and what the problems are and how do you assess how they are now? He's not going to give you an answer. Mm. He's not going to give you a good answer. He's not going to say, yeah, I've decided we're going to play 4-3-3 next season. You know, Maguire's going to get another chance because I think there's a, a player there. But Phil Jones has been on too much for two. He's not going to say all this. He's no. not going to He's not going to give you the tactics. He's not going to give you any any insight. And he's not gonna he's not gonna disrespect Ajax who've built him to what he is now. And he's not he's not gonna just stab him like that. So what's the point? Like you're just wasting money sending this divvy over there to to ask questions which no one really cares about because he, everyone with half a brain knows that he's not gonna give an answer until he starts the Man United job officially. It must be the Ajax kind of thing that puts people off being Manchester United manager. And it's in no way it's unique it's to Manchester happened United. It's with Van Gaal as well. Club, isn't well, it? do you know what the interesting thing is? Is in the sort of debrief of that incident that Marley was saying, they had the reporter on screen and he was explaining what happened. They showed the clip. Yeah. And he went, oh, well, he's going to have to get used to this a bit more. It doesn't seem oh. like he's comfortable with being Manchester United manager. It's like he's been yeah. Manchester United manager for about <laughs> 35 minutes, mate. I could have um, thrown and, my laptop when, he, when, he, when like, he's tried to stick up for himself. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. It, it, was, it was more well, just that, uh, oh, well, he's going to need to get used to the level of media scrutiny and he doesn't look comfortable. It's like, well, the guy's literally just finished training. He's mm. had a photo with a a fan and and his and his old man and it's like <laughs> of course he doesn't want to talk to you and and it was one of those things where the, another question in the press conference that Marley says was uh, oh another poor result for Manchester United today they lost to Arsenal um, is it turning out to be a harder job than you expected he's like he's had the job one day and, <laughs> and in he's fact not he's even, not even he's got, got the job yet the contract doesn't start yet. until June so he's not even in the job he's oh, working for Ajax so it's an I, I can understand why Marley's annoyed man. at that it is slightly interesting they've decided to I mean I know we've covered the appointment of Ten Hag or the announcement of Ten Hag previously but it is interesting that they've decided to do it at this point in the season when we've seen a similar situation with Manuel Pellegrini in his job at Man City when Pep Guardiola came in in that it's kind of it turns your current boss into a bit of a dead duck they're I don't know what kind of atmosphere change it has within the dressing room because clearly the players would have known he was coming in anyway. Yeah. But it just creates a kind of weird narrative around the football club. I guess what I know what you're saying, but with the Pellegrini uh, situation, you know, I don't think Rangnick is in that sort of position. I think everyone knew that Rangnick was going to move on, yeah. whether that be completely out of the club or up to the uh, consultancy role that we're expecting him to move into. So I think that there's a difference there. But I do know what you mean. And I think actually Rangnick is okay with that. I think he probably knows that his coaching days um, are behind him a little bit. And it was quite a surprise that he even came into United as interim to coach because mm. he's been a sporting director or above board and, you know, in those sorts of important meetings, looking at the outlook and the, the vision of a club 
for his last five or six years. So I can't I can't even remember the last club he actually managed. I think maybe it was it was Leipzig five or six mm. years ago. So I think with Rangnick, everyone knew that that, that was going to be the case. So I don't think it has as big an effect um, uh, as people might think on Rangnick's authority, because I think Rangnick will still be there, probably in a even more powerful position next season with with the consultancy role. So we'll wait and see. But I, I do understand that um, you know we're going to hear a lot from Eric Ten Hag and a lot about Eric Ten Hag and. You know, if let's just say Manchester United start next season the way Arsenal started this season, losing the first three games, um, I just wonder what the reaction will be. Yeah, be interesting to see how his tenure as Manchester United boss, when it actually like it does always. start, how it does start. Right, Noah, what have you got for getting in the sea this week? Right, so I watched a couple of games this weekend. I watched Arsenal versus Manchester United on Saturday and then yesterday I thought I'd take in the Merseyside derby, Everton versus Liverpool. And to be honest, I thought I was just going to watch Liverpool trounce Everton and Mm. walk all over them. And I really like Liverpool. I respect them as a football club. I know a few Liverpool fans. All of the ones that I do know are sound. The one thing that winds me up is I feel like there's far too much of a love-in with the Liverpool Football Club in general. Yes, they're a club who are historically fantastic. They've won major trophies. They're one of, some would say, the biggest club in the country. And I get that. And there are also kind of cultural things that go hand in hand with Liverpool. So everyone kind of waxes lyrical about the Anfield atmosphere on a Mm. European night, you know. But the one thing that really got to me, I looked at my watch. It was 4.31pm. The game was meant to kick off at 430 and they waited for your You'll Never Walk Alone to finish before kicking the game off. Okay, I get it. It's a famous song, whatever. But Everton are playing in this match as well. If the match is meant to kick off at half past... Is your moan the punctuality of the stadium announcer? No, it's not, it's the, not the stadium music. announcer. It's, quite it's, niche. Just, it's just it's the only club in the country the, where you have to reverence. wait for a bloody song to finish it's like, before it's you not, start the game. It's not the national anthem. You know, they don't wait for play-up Pompey to finish before they kick off games at Fratton Park. The referee just says, right, it's half four. Come on, lads, we, we're going. And I just, it's the only club where it happens. Mm. It happened at the FA Cup semi final as well, where they played You'll Never Walk Alone as the teams were walking out. But does it make a difference, really? I don't know if it makes a difference, but I just think it just does, it seems a bit odd, don't you think? I, I, I think the whole loving around Liverpool is a little bit odd. There but a... it's more the all of the little frilly bits that go around with it, like Jurgen Klopp's fist pumps to the crowd, mm. and like as if a manager's never shown passion before in his life. And the playing of You'll Never Walk Alone is traditional at Anfield, but play it five minutes before the teams or or when the teams are walking out. Don't play it when the game's about to kick off. And then the referee just, or the producers at Sky waiting for that song to finish before they kick the game off. Just, just start. I mean, the match is between two teams. Not one team. This was summed up, actually, by something I saw on the Premier League official Twitter account over the weekend. I don't know if you saw this. It was just after the Derby victory. And there was a pointing up finger, pointing to the Premier League word in their Twitter title. And then it just said, step closer, hashtag live Everton. And it's like, that doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like language that would be used for any other club other than Liverpool. That is the kind of thing you'd expect to see from a Liverpool fan account rather than the Premier League account. I think the whole thing, Jim, probably ties into your getting the C as well because, you know, we talk about there being some sort of unconscious bias. Mm. I mean, naturally, there would have been more people supporting Liverpool yesterday than there weren't, um, I think, because they're a bigger club with more supporters. So I think that makes sense. But, you know, there was even the, the... the run off into the sky coverage which I'm sure you'll come on to with your getting the sea yes. <laughs> but ja- Jamie Carragher had a few critics on social media as well for the mm. for the nature of the way he called the match on commentary that's a good junction at which to roll into my getting the sea which might be one that brings people down either side of the fence because my Monday moan is about people moaning about Jamie Carragher being on commentary <laughs> duty for Liverpool Everton because he was too biased because he didn't give a fair calling of the game, as you say. Now, this kind of focused largely over the incident where Richarlison became the first player in history to be injured by someone else's step over. And he (laughs) did his ankle and rolled over on the floor. And which Jamie Carragher started shouting, get up, get up! Because he believed Richarlison was faking when, in fact, he probably had hurt his ankle, although he did go on to play the rest of the game. And I guess part of that is Richarlison's history for historics it's like 
it just kind of like that's part of his game. So it's understandable that when he's gone down, someone might think that he's play acting a little bit. But the vitriol that Jamie Carragher got for supporting Liverpool during that game mm. and being very one-sided in his commentary, I thought was a little bit ridiculous. And I kind of think the expectations for football commentators to be unbiased is unrealistic and also would be so dull. Mm. Who wants to watch Match of the Day every day? Because yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happens on I Match think, of the Day and it is boring as. Yeah, here in the UK, it's a bit different because obviously the BBC, we have understood over decades that they have this duty to be impartial as the national broadcaster. Mm. So I think Match of the Day, when you watch that BBC broadcast, is probably slightly more neutral. Whereas Sky Sports have no obligation to be neutral. No. They never claim to be neutral. Um, Martin Tyler is the main commentator on the game and you'd expect him to be neutral seeing he's a, a Woking supporter. Mm. Um, Assistant manager as well. Okay. Is he really? Yeah, mm. so he's not even in the <laughs> he's not even in the football league as a fan. You know, he's a, a non-league fan of a, of a team near London. So um, Jamie Carragher, however, isn't. Grew up as an Everton fan, played for Liverpool, won the Champions League there. Um, so, you know, you, you can't expect him to be neutral in, in a game of, of this it's magnitude. entertainment it's just, as well. It's just not not. It's just not going to happen. It's, it's entertainment. Happen. It's like you're supposed to watch it and you're supposed to feel emotion. You're supposed to be angry. You're supposed to react to it. But some of the tweets I saw, this is one of my favourites. Chris Hockeying, 22, on Twitter, <laughs> said, When did Sky bring back fan commentary? Character is, disgra- character is disgraceful. Supposed to be impartial. And yet he clearly had... Anna Glenda against Richardson. <laughs> I don't know who, don't know who Anna Glenda is. I assume it's a tennis player <laughs> of some kind. But yeah, I mean, you look on Twitter and there's thousands and thousands of tweets and yeah. posts so having a go at Calibre so for being impartial. So you're not being all impartial. right with it being biased? Yeah, 100%. Because you're neutral? But No. I don't, I, because I, if you were an Everton fan, there was a Liverpool legend on commentary. I don't think you'd be as happy. I, I don't, don't think, think I'd you'd be, be bothered. unbothered. I don't think I'd be bothered. But, but you can understand why people are bothered, because it would like it wind it winds me up when they put um, it's a bit different broadcaster, but it's BT when BT put Steve McManaman um, on Liverpool commentary, and then I mean I can understand getting upset a, by Steve McManaman being on commentary. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean I just, then they go to a Man United match and the the pundits are you know Skulls, Ferdinand, and Fletcher, and they're all just stood there with like glum faces. Well, I think I don't Although know. I do quite like that one. I think you've got to have thicker skin than that as a football fan. You've got to understand as well that a broadcaster like Sky TV they play to their audience, and as Niall points out, the majority of that audience for Liverpool Everton yeah. would have been Liverpool fans. The majority of Manchester United versus Newcastle viewers would have been Manchester United fans, and you've got to appeal to that audience to a certain extent. Yeah. And as a football fan, get over it. Don't worry about it. It's just a bloke talking about football. Yeah, I get that, but they wouldn't put, say it was Liverpool against West Ham, they wouldn't put our old mate Matty Jarvis on commentary from, no. from a West Ham perspective, would they? No. And that's kind of part of the, the argument, I guess. I can mm. see why Everton fans be annoyed about it, 100%. 100%. Because but did, didn't they have uh, Kevin Campbell in the studio as well? They did, yeah. But, and I mean, Souness, yeah, they used to play for him. Richarlison was, I think, I think, you know, well entitled to go down at that point, but you're right, here's a bit of a, a back a, a track record of maybe being a little bit more theatrical than you should be. And then it was just a game pack full of incidents, wasn't it? Mm. And, you know, there was Mane, I think, should have been sent off um, when he wasn't. I just think the referee in, in general in the Premier League has not been that great yeah. for a while now. And it, and it causes more debate. And then, you know, you've got commentators piling on that adds fuel to the fire. And I just think when your team's not doing well, you, you're angry and you're looking for excuses. And I think um, that's it. it I, think comment- I think commentary just kind of, rubs people up the wrong way doesn't it it's not directly offensive and no. and impacting what's happening on the pitch it's just it's that extra little bit of needle that you just don't want to hear but it's and part so of it, it causes people to kick off i like it and if you want to check out the full review of that game as nar says loads going on liverpool versus everton you can check out fergal and the boys talking about it on yesterday's podcast go and check it out but next we're going to talk about tonight's premier league action it's crystal palace versus leeds Arguably a much more important match for Leeds than Palace, but we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's talk about the Premier League tonight. It is Crystal Palace versus Leeds. And suddenly, after Burnley picked up three points at the weekend... It's looking dicey again for Leeds United after we did think they were clear for a little bit. I thought you were going to say it's looking dicey, but I thought that was... (laughs) That would have been good. I wish I had said it's looking dicey. So, in terms of this game for Leeds United, Niall, it's suddenly become really important, hasn't it? Because they need Mm. to start picking up points again. Well, do you know what the strange thing is? I've been looking at Leeds sort of from afar in recent weeks and thinking, oh, they're all right. They seem to be out of it just between Everton and Burnley. You know, I think they've won three of their last five games. They've lost the other. Uh, they've lost one other and drawn one, drawn one other, which is incidentally the exact same record as Burnley in the last five games, albeit in a different order. So, I guess we need to give credit to Burnley. Um, we spoke to Trevor Stephen, a former Burnley player, on the dugout this week. We recorded that just before kickoff between Burnley and Southampton on Thursday, mm. and Trevor was understandably sort of despairing a little bit about what the future might hold for his old team. They've gone and beaten Southampton. And they've gone and won again at the weekend. So actually they've got six points in that sort of four-day spell and it's really put them in a in a much better position. And with Everton losing against Liverpool, the bottom of the table is looking really, really interesting. And Leeds, as you say, they're not out of the woods yet. They're two points clear of Burnley and have a game in hand. Uh, but they, they need to win because their goal difference is worse. They're minus 30, so that's 14 worse off than Burnley they're nine goals worse off than Everton so if it does get down to it and dicey like you say they're they're disadvantaged Mm. so I think Jesse Marsh has actually done a very good job since he took over from Marcelo Bielsa but um, they they do need to win and and you're right it is a more important game for Leeds United than it is for Crystal Palace Um, if they win they'll go within a point of Palace in 14th but I I guess that shows the pressures of the, the Premier League you know to win three out of your last five games You'd think a month ago, two months ago, that would have been enough to keep you up. And now Mm. it looks like it might not be. So that is why the Premier League is so ruthless and so brutal. So, yeah, they they do need to get a result tonight against Crystal Palace. And even though they're down in 14th, I don't think Palace are the easiest team to just rock up and beat. No. So um, it's going to be an interesting game this tonight. I actually do quite like Jesse Marsh. I I was uh, fortunate enough to watch his Salzburg side a couple of times last season and was really impressed with them, albeit in a much... uh, weaker league with all due respect to the to the Austrian division but um, I, I think he could be a, a, a really good appointment for Leeds moving forward but he just has to keep them up and it's as simple as that that's his first task How do you look at the sacking of Marcelo Bielsa now Marley now Marsh has been in place for a little while as Niall says Leeds record's not bad over the last four or five games over the last five games just lost one drawn one won all the others but they have slipped down the table, which I guess is more to do with the teams around them picking up the games they had in hand and doing well in those results rather than Leeds actually slipping up. But do you think we're going to look back at the decision to sack Bielsa as the right call? Um, Well, proof's in the pudding, really. If he keeps them up, that's all they wanted to do. So probably does have to go down as the right call. I still don't like like it. Like, I, I still want... I still, like love what Bielsa does with his teams and how he operates and things like that and how he picks his teams and doesn't just go and chase money all the way and all the rest of it and no one will ever do what what Bielsa's done for Leeds um, more than him like he he got them from nowhere near promotion to to in the Premier League and you know did they come, I think they, fi- think they finished ninth last season mm-hmm. as well so 
Um, that was that was huge, and Marsh just needs to harness that and, and build on it. And I think he has done that so far. He's, he's ground out a few scrappy wins. Um, I don't think they've looked brilliant in any of those games. To be fair, I think they've they've struggled. I remember the Norwich game where they got the last minute, like last second winner from. I think it was Gelhart, the the young lad. Um, and they've got like they've got stuff to build on. They just need to to add a bit of depth in the summer, survive this season, add a bit of depth and add a bit, a little bit more quality mm. and hopefully for them not lose Calvin, Calvin Phillips. Um, and then they can go from a bl- sort of blank slate next season. But as long as they stay out of this Burnley-Everton scrap, they, sh- they should be all right. And that's that's what it comes down to. You know, they need to... They've played the same amount of games as Everton and they've got four more four more points on the board. So if you, if you look at it like that, forget Burnley... Um, for now, because they're not the the third worst team as the as the table stands. So, mm. just keep looking what Everton are doing and um, look at their running, and then you look at you look at what Leeds have got. And it's nowhere near as as tough. So, mm. yeah, Jesse Marsh can can be fairly happy because his his remit was simply to keep Leeds in the league because that's what Leeds were fearing. Um, and as things stand, they're doing all right. So, Palace tonight are not. You say they're not the hardest. They're not the easiest team to beat, but they're nowhere near the hardest either. So. It's um it's a game where you can't go into Crystal Palace and go, we'd be lucky to get something there. You've got to say, you know what, there aren't we're not going to play many teams worse than Palace, this uh, like for the rest of this season. So let's let's sling everything at them, and if we get three points, it's probably enough to keep them up then, because mm-hmm. Everton aren't getting seven points in the next, yeah. you know, five games or so. I just can't see it. Everton have got Chelsea this week as well. They've got really tough yeah. run of games yeah. of Everton. I've got really well in a couple of weeks fans. as well, which is pretty Oof. much where their their season comes down to. Because obviously, if they lose out, they're down. And How are they so bad? Like just I'm just thinking of the squad they've got so and the team they put out yesterday. It's like that's how you become bad. Awobi's not relegation. I mean, he's not the greatest player. I mean, we know that it's probably far too much money to pay for him, but. He'd get into Norwich, Watford, and Burnley's team. It's interesting. And he'd get into Leeds' team, but the, he, but the amount of times we've looked at teams and gone, they are greater than the sum of their parts. And Leeds yeah. are the perfect example of this. Yeah. You go, the players aren't great, but as a unit, they're brilliant. Everton are the diametric opposite of that. They're so much worse than they should be with the personnel they have available. I think Richarlison yeah, starts for Brazil. Yeah. Richarlison, yeah. Calvert Lewin. I mean, they've got a, Pickford's England's number one goalkeeper. The back four is arguably the issue with Everton, isn't it? Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they look at the goals they've conceded this season. I mean, they keep losing games, so you know you have yeah, to say defensively. It's... But they've got Alan, who's a good player. Mm. Decore obviously um, was at Watford, so you can understand why you know some people might say that okay, he's he's kind of used to that fighting at the bottom of the table sort of thing. But I just think in general they've got they've got decent players. Mm. Like, why are they third bottom in the Premier League? That I mean, that will be if they go down, if they drop. I think there'll be a documentary about it in five years' time. Yeah, the, the time Everton got relegated. I think it's just one of them where, like, I think when Benitez come in, I think they all thought they were better than what Benitez was. Benitez is obviously like you know defense first, and then we'll we'll go from there. Mm. And they've all thought, well, we're better than that. That's fine. And then I think they've all there's just an attitude thing. You know, a team gets you gets you way more, way higher up the league than a bunch of individuals does. It happens all the time. Yeah. Look at Man United. Like they've mm. got, you know, how much they spent a billion pound or something and since since Fergie left and all they've been for ten years is just a bunch of individuals who are some somewhat talented but don't even like each other. If you believe all these these rumors that are coming out that, that there's no unity in the squad, that's why they're sixth. Mm. And then you look at Everton and you think why why is the squad that good eighteenth? And then you look at Burnley who are in who are improving yeah. week by week because they're all together and they all want to fight mm. and stay out of it and that's what Burnley do every season you know Southampton as well like Southampton are 13th then by no means the best side in the world but they they at least fight for each other and if you don't turn up and show them the respect they'll beat you mm. simple as that that's why they're 13th in the table and they've never been in any trouble this season then you look at Everton you know half of them look like they don't know each other's names <laughs> Frank Lampard doesn't really know how to organise a defence, uh, hasn't got any experience of fighting this. Mm. So if they do go, it's just, um, I think someone said, it might have been on Sky Sports or something, but I didn't watch it over the weekend, and it said um, it's it's a blueprint in how not to spend money. And yeah. that, that is everything in an absolute nutshell. Do you know what? I think bringing it back to tonight's game, something that Jesse Marsh said that was quite interesting, and no doubt he'll be watching the, the matches as well, um, involving Everton and Burnley and the like. But he said about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that 
these players are overworked, they're overtrained. Um, and everyone was always like, oh, firing shots at Marcelo Bielsa. It's like, well, he's not firing shots at Bielsa. He's just saying this is what he's noticed as he's, uh, you know, since he's come in. Mm. Um, whether that's changed at Leeds or not, whether he's lightened the workload and the results have come off the back of that is is a really interesting question. Um, because we always said that Bielsa, what he does and what he gets his team to do, teams to do is really admirable. But is that sustainable mm. in a sort of a 38-game Premier League season against some of the best sides to play club football in the last 20 years? So mm. um, particularly I, I just when wonder you, whether that's made a difference. Particularly when you've had injuries and your squad gets oh, yeah. smaller anyway, mm. so you've got mm. less of a pool to pick from. So the workload for those players that are left is going to increase. So maybe that's where the season came unstuck for Leeds a little bit. As for Crystal Palace... Let's look at the other side of this briefly, because there's not a lot to say about Crystal Palace at the moment. They're kind of pretty much safe. It's very yeah. difficult to see them dragged into anything. They're 14th at the moment. They've had some brilliant results this season. They've been unimpressive on other seasons. They've definitely built on what they had under Roy Hodgson. They're a more interesting team to watch now, but also at the same time, they're really unpredictable. They beat Arsenal 3-0 one week, a couple of weeks back. They lost to Leicester 2-1 the next in a pretty disappointing performance. There doesn't seem to be any real pattern either, Nah, between what makes them play well or badly. <laughs> <laughs> what causes the swing? I'll tell you what there is a pattern of, and I still need to find out what this statistic actually is, but the amount of late goals they've conceded mm. this <laughs> season. This I reckon they could be knocking around close to the top 10 if they hadn't dropped so many points. Um, uh, Leicester City well, are another team that have dropped a, stupid amount of points from winning positions there this There was season. a point, wasn't there, when, when Arsenal got them earlier in the season and it was 2-2 at the Emirates. And that was like the third game in a row they'd conceded in the 90th minute. Yeah. Like point dropper, like loss or, I think they did, or something like that. They definitely did to Brighton in one of the uh, yeah. games between them, obviously two rivals. Yeah. They might have even yeah. done twice against Brighton. I'm not sure. So we'll we'll we'll, well, we'll look into that at some point, but I'm not sure whether that's a reason as to why that they're, they're so inconsistent, Jim. But I mean, it's certainly a factor in how they've played at times. Here's a basic stat for you. Crystal Palace have won as many games this season as Everton. Eight games. They've drawn loads, haven't they? Yeah. But going back to what I said before, Palace are a side, a, a team, they fight for each other and they get draws when they're meant to and they can see out draws when it looks like they're going to, you know, if they run out of steam, they can see out a draw. Everton can't. And, you know, Everton have drawn five games and Palace have drawn 13. And it's those extra eight points that has had them, that's got them the difference between 14th and a plus two goal difference yep. versus Everton on mm. uh, 18th and... A minus 21 goal difference. For me, I think Palace's season ended when they lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final. I think that was their kind of crowning moment, wasn't it? A chance for them to get back to Wembley. Um, They obviously got there in 2016, lost to United in the Cup final. Um, They've never won a major trophy in 116 years of existence or whatever it is. So, Palace always seemed to me like the first team on the beach every season. Because they sort of float around that mid-table and don't really threaten the top 10 and sort of finish 13th, 14th. Like I remember it last season under Hodgson, like they were they were safe, and they had nothing to play for for the final six games, mm. and it was like, don't wanna, don't wanna watch Palace this week because wow, they've got nothing to play for, and they're just kind of on the beach and ready for next season and ready to you go again. But they are is... they are more exciting this season. I'd rather watch them this season than any other season. To be fair, Vieira's doing a good job, but yeah, it's um, I mean, I... it's it's still come round to that full circle of where they're sort of in that purgatory of mid table yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, they could still finish top 10, to be fair, but yeah. I can't really see it with the inconsistency. It's a good point that Marley makes, though, Jim, because I'm looking at the table that he's got it up on his uh, computer screen here. And I'm looking at all of the teams from bottom to top. So Norwich, they won the championship last season. Watford got promotion. So you're talking about a side who have had sort of relative glory in recent seasons. Um, Everton, uh, not so much. Um Burnley the same. I think their fans are quite happy just to mm. kind of stay around and be above Blackburn in the Football League. I think that that's probably their main um, objective. Villa and Leeds have only sort of re- in recent last three or four years come up. But uh, but teams like Palace and Southampton, it's like, what is the aspiration season to season? Maintaining Premier League status. You think so? 100% at the moment. And I think eventually you have to get into a position where you become as a football club an attractive asset that then gets sold and you go on to be a Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah. But at the moment, with the owners they've got, the aspiration is Premier League safety. Because you look at Wolves, right? European football. Um, what was it? Two out of the last three seasons or mm. something? Um, yeah, Leicester have won... Seven, three times in a row, didn't they? Yeah, yeah Leicester have won the FA Cup. 
Um, they're also still in Europe at the moment. West Ham are enjoying a spell at the moment where they're in European football. Um, even Brentford, it's their first season and Brighton are looking at finishing in the top 10 for the first time ever. Newcastle have had years of really not doing much and now they're looking like a club on the up. So mm. with Palace, they've got that vibe of Vieira coming in and I think the fans are much more excited to turn up to Selhurst every week. But how long does that feel-good factor roll on for? Like when we start next season... Um, what is it? Is it a top 10 finish? Is that the aim? I guess it has to be for a club like Palace, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't know whether the club has that level of aspiration, to be honest with you. I tell you what, let's try and get a Palace fan on in the next All couple right. of weeks and see what they say, because they're go. the best people to answer that question. If you are they? a Palace fan, at the Sports Social, we'll get you on the podcast. You can tell us all about your football club and whether you feel your desires, your aspirations are being fulfilled. But for the moment, Leeds United, it's probably arguably a more important game for them in tonight's final game of the Premier League weekend. Right, last bit of Football Social Daily coming up. We're going to talk about that announcement that the government's going to introduce an independent football regulator after a review of fans came up with 10 recommendations, one of which is this self-governing body to kind of look at football and help it make its decisions. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We should congratulate ourselves, really, because we talked about Crystal Palace for about... 12, 13 minutes and didn't once mention the future of Wilfred Zahar. And I think that's the first time that has ever you know happened. Because no one cares. <laughs> Everyone's true. seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, could it have a transfer request? No one wants you. <laughs> right. We're going to talk about the future of football from a governance point of view now because the government is set to introduce an independent football regulator. There's been a review of fans and they've saw a review of football by a fan body, which has come up with 10 recommendations to improve the game. And one of those is an independent football regulator, which will look at various issues within the game, including the potential ownership of football clubs and who can and can't own a football club. It's a big step, this Nile. And Mm. is it about time that the government stepped in and stopped football just governing itself? Because... Or is it is it kind of a step too far for the government? Because ultimately, football are businesses, so shouldn't they be allowed to just get on with it? Um, I wouldn't trust the government to step in and save anything. <laughs> I was going to say. So, I agree that there well, it's an be... independent body. It's well, just yeah, been sanctioned the, by the, the government. The government are looking to legislate it. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. And uh, Tracy Crouch has been sort of a, a leading vocal figure on this, and and she's sort of heralded this as a big step in the right direction. And I've been calling for this for ages and anyone who's listened to this podcast over the last three years and heard me bang on about what happened to Berry and Bolton mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Blackpool and Portsmouth and you know even Leeds United to an extent, all of these clubs that have been sort of um, hung out to dry, uh, I welcome this. I think, it's a, I think it's essential. I think we need an independent regulator. Um, no shock that the Premier League are against this decision. Independent and government. Can they go in this? No, uh, this, yeah. Like, is an ind- like independence independent and government is is different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't so, trust. So I don't, this doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like an off-gen situation. So yeah. off-gen is rubber-stamped by the government to look after energy prices, but ultimately they're independent. What, what body. the ones that are through the roof now and make <laughs> me not want to leave? Put the heating on in yeah, case them. of yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, Marley. It's, if it was a direct government intervention in football, I don't think that's acceptable 
Um, and I don't think that would be welcomed. But that honestly makes me cringe. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of, of much worse than that. Um, Put it this way, the bloody, what, what's she called? Um, the culture of Nadine Doris, the yes. culture thing. Horrific woman. Yeah. She called them tennis pitches at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> she <laughs> also took about Downstream movies <laughs> and, yeah. and build more tennis pitches. To, to, <laughs> yeah, and then you go on a Monday, do you want these idiots to be part of a uh, an independent regular? No, not at all. Invest in some cricket th- rackets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go and play polo in Golf your little... Bats. You know, everything, you know, go and, go and play in, yeah, in your yeah. own little gardens, which which we've probably paid for with our tax money. So, yeah, yeah no, 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 no. I, I agree. We don't I, stay I don't, the hell away from the game. Please. Yeah, I don't want the government involved as an independent regulator. But if because they won't be independent, simple as that. But yeah. if the if the regulator we're talking of is independent, is a body. I, I there do is think, room for it. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think there are questions to be asked about who sits on that independent body. Yeah. Oh. Who gets that job? Because it's all well and good like, creating this new construct, but whoever's even, inside that is is going to be um, culpable to to blame and significant change themselves. Even FIFA and UEFA are governing bodies, and they've had you know trials and and all sorts of stuff thrown at them for yeah. for years of, of bribery and corruption and yeah. World Cups going to random countries and all the rest of it, and yeah. Europa League finals going to Arsene of Azerbaijan in the middle mm. of May. You know what I mean? It's mm. There's all like so who who's got the clean record to go? Yeah, I'll do it, and then everyone goes, well, why, <laughs> why you? And then something will come out about them. It's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. You can't. It's the hardest thing in the world to introduce something yeah. at the top, which yeah. is going to o- overcut everyone and say we're going to do this right. You need someone from the FSA, the Football Supporters Association. I think mm. you need someone, or even more than one person, to sit on a board of this independent body. I think you need someone to come in. Um, with understanding of commercialization and marketing, because that's a huge part of the modern game. I think you need someone to come in who is an accountant or with a grip of finance, because they'll they'll have an understanding of whether a new owner that is prospectively mm. buying a football club is fit for the job. You probably need someone um, with criminal understanding. So I'm not saying someone from the police or someone like that, but if you look at the people that are buying these clubs the reason that there's been a lot of angst about uh, Newcastle's takeover is because of the Saudi's human rights records. And there's a lot of people that say, well, that should have been looked into. And so maybe you need someone there to do that, to to tick that box and please those sorts of people. So I welcome the idea. I think it's much needed because we can't just have people buying football clubs with with no checks. Mm. I mean, I can only speak for my team because I lived it, Uh, but we had people buying Portsmouth. Some, there was one, chap who bought Portsmouth nobody knew if he even existed mm. he'd never been seen in the UK there was another who bought Portsmouth who had embezzled money from his wife so no one had checked where the money had come from they mm. just saw that he had this money it's like when you go I mean not to, to boil this down too much but when you go and buy a house you'll speak to a conveyancer and that conveyancer will then do checks mm. and say you use money to pe- to buy your house they need to check where that money has come from and that you haven't stolen it. Or yeah, that you've got you've... to declare whether it's a gift or it's income or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. You've got to go through a lot of, jump through a lot of hoops. You yeah. have to jump through a lot of hoops. At the moment, it feels like there's not enough hoops being jumped through um, to uh, sort of give owners the green light to take over clubs. And I think that's the problem. We're just allowing anyone to take over. And like what I said before about my team, when we were in administration, the Premier League were embarrassed that their mighty construct, the biggest league in the world, had a club that had plunged into administration and they just wanted to sanction anyone, just get anyone through, get mm. a new owner through instantly. So it's it's less embarrassing for them. And they didn't care about the knock-on effects of that. And it caused us to spiral out of control. So um, the less that happens, the better. Uh, I welcome the decision of an independent regulator, but I do think it's a really tough thing to get right for all of the reasons we've just mentioned. It's not just about the ownership of football clubs. There's various issues they're going to be looking at. And it's also clear to say, my understanding is they don't make the rules, this independent body. They will assess whether the decisions that are being made by the Premier League, who ultimately are concerned about money, that's what they're there for, they're a business, whether the decisions they're making are right for football clubs, which are being realised as an asset beyond being just independent businesses. They're being realised as kind of community assets and they have a place in people's kind of lives and hearts, which we saw with the likes of Berry when they went bust and the effect that had on the community around it. And it's also about the issues, things like the European Super League and the Mm. advent of that and the aggression that that shows towards the Premier League. But I think probably one of the bigger issues or the biggest issue is that fit and proper owners test, Marley. And there's a decision to be made as to what that criteria is, because as Niall says, there is a question as to whether anyone can come in and buy a football club and run it 
not into the ground to maintain it as a football club. It doesn't go bust. They protect it as an asset. But the other side of that is what you're facing with Newcastle at the moment, where there was questions over the morality mm-hmm. of the people buying the football club. So where do you draw the line? What should the criteria be around the fit and proper owner's test? Is it purely <laughs> about the financials of keeping the football club running? Yeah. Or should we be questioning someone who comes from Saudi Arabian royalty or, I don't mm. know, if the... Shady if, background. Yeah, or, or thing, if, yeah. If, like if in five years' time when the issues that are currently ongoing in um, Ukraine fade into the background and a Russian oligarch wants to come in and buy a football club, do we then let them in the full knowledge that we now know that the Russian oligarchs who have this extreme wealth, it's ultimately stolen money. There's more of a light on that than previously there was six months ago. So what kind of criteria, what benchmarks do we hold for owners? Well, that's the hardest question (laughs) I'm ever going to be asked on a Monday morning. Jesus, If you could wrap it up in three minutes. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Um, Well, surprisingly enough, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Would you rather there had been criteria in place to prevent the Saudi ownership taking over Newcastle? What what do you mean, like... If, if there'd been kind of like... A, the, the only a, reason that the Saudis wouldn't have been allowed to take over Newcastle is because of the human rights record. Yeah, correct. And also the other question marks over ownership are should a football club be allowed to be owned by, in inverted commas, and for want of a better term, a state? Yeah. Manchester City mm. are technically owned by a state. Saudi Arabia PSG. technically own Newcastle. You know, so there's a, there's a question to, ha- to mm. have. You know, if the US government went and bought West Ham, people would be like, well, well, this is a bit weird. Mm. But for some reason, it's more accepted, whether that's because of the time of the takeover of Manchester City. Um, The Russian oligarch, Roman Abramovich, who did own Chelsea until, of course, recent times. The oligarchs in Russia are effectively the the highest wealth you can get, which has almost been gifted to them by the the Russian government. So it's, it's questions like that that I think... Will be, will be answered. Yeah. But then you pull up the drawbridge, don't you? Yeah, that's the thing. Like whatever comes in, it's too, it's too late. Like ideally, I for like ideal football wise, like every club would be owned by a local businessman yeah. or a consortium yeah. or something. But what we would see is, you know, players getting a maximum of ten grand a week. Yeah. Um, and the Premier League just wouldn't be what it is now. It wouldn't or, be as 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 big an asset as it is to the country. And you'll see Derby, who are owned by Mel Morris. So I'm pretty sure is a Derby fan. He's, you know, he's spent too Just much money enough. run the club into the ground. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of like the we, other side of it. Newcastle run by John Hall for, for, for years and then Freddie Shepherds and stuff like that. And that was the 90s when, you know... If, a few hundred grand a year could run run a football club. It's just not like that. It's just not that anymore. No one's rich enough to to own a football club unless you're you know like stupidly like stinkily rich. Mm-hmm. Like and those people, the the rich people who are you know um, rich enough to to play this game now own weird you know countries or they're they're ran they're part of you know huge yeah. pots of money from right. from very you know questionable backgrounds and things like that you can't get you know a local steel business and buying Sheffield United like you know Sheffield's you know the, the steel city and stuff and it's been ran and, and stuff um, on the steel industry for for you know 150 years and they're, they're, they're now owned by a Saudi businessman for 115 million quid yeah and it's like and the steelworks are owned by an Indian company yeah and it, it's just <laughs> it's just the fact that like Britain isn't what it what it once was. It, it just we're not as strong as we were back in mm. you know the nineteen fifties when we could sort of self self sustain a bit more. It's, yeah. it's just the whole world has changed. Football's changed with it, and you've got to decide as a fan whether you like it with all its its you know ugly warts and and shady backgrounds or yeah. whether you're the little Mister Moral on his on his high horse saying well they shouldn't they shouldn't run a club because you know they've got. They've done this in the past, or they're a country, and that this country has done that. But are they directly involved? And you know, they killed a journalist, but who, who was it who chopped him up into pieces and you know chucked him in the sea or whatever it is? It's all, it's all horrible backgrounds. And but as as we mentioned before, we've missed it. We've missed this by yeah. twenty eight years, thirty years, because it should have came in in ninety two when the Premier League was formed. Yeah. How do you create but, eleven play a level playing field from the position what, we're in now? Want, you just can't. I want you these. Just three. can't. I want these three things from an independent body. Um, there's a lot longer 
of a list, <laughs> but these are three things I'll pick out. A more thorough and rigorous fit and proper person's test. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to emphasize the two words fit and proper. To be fit enough to run a club, you need to have the financial backing to be able to keep it sustainable. Now, what classes are sustainable is another question. And the word proper, again, is open for interpretation as to whether, you know, if you have questionable background or a questionable past, whether you're uh, acceptable enough to to move a football club forward and control what is effectively a community asset, you'd be the steward of that. So that would be one thing, a much more robust fit and proper person's test. Second thing, I want a, a wages to turnover uh, ratio so I'd want it so that you can only spend the maximum of say let's say 70% of your income on player wages yep. and staff wages Makes sense. okay so you can't go and overinflate and spend 110% of your income on player wages and then you're losing money spending which is it the current all. rule it's now 70% that's the kind of yeah, benchmark but I, I mean, coming in three years I think it is yeah. We can, yeah I mean in three years we can we change that can we can we tighten that up and look at that so that's one other thing I want third thing I want fan representation and that doesn't mean putting a fan on the board because as I've said before that one fan can easily be sweetened up and be starry eyed about the fact that they get free tickets and get yeah. to sit in the director's box every week they'd be the easiest people to prep in the world. exactly so uh, more like a, a fan advisory board so fan representation may be a group made up of 15 20 fans who will sit and they will meet with the club once a month, once every three months, air their frustrations, and they are considered sort of a shareholder. So they, as a collective, are considered one of the directors. So when a decision gets made in the boardroom, we're going to appoint this manager or we're going to sign this player, maybe not signing players, but or we're going to uh, change the club crest, we're going to change the kit, make mm. it this colour. That fan group then has a vote in the boardroom as a collective. So that's what I want to see. And I don't think that they're too unreasonable um of a requests to make no and uh i think it will make football generally a better thing but you know power is something that people love to keep hold of and you know really tightly grip onto and it's 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 much easier to to give someone power than to take it away so uh, i mean it's a promising start but whether we'll see tangible change i mean we'll sit here in two years and find out i'm sure they go get nile on the governing body get him heading <laughs> it up watch him slowly be corrupted by the money and the power that that <laughs> provides uh, that is it for today's football social daily thank you very much for listening don't forget if you are a crystal palace fan get in touch we'd love to get you on the podcast to talk about your aspirations as a football club at the sport social on twitter you can get in touch there or there's plenty of ways to get in touch on the website as well sport-social.co.uk have a great monday we'll see you tomorrow Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.